Welcome to the book club that sure is not your mom's romance book club, but it is my mom's. I'm Ellen and joining me as always is my mom. Hi mom, how's it going? So good. Always. I'm always here. You're always here. Always. <sighs> okay, so today we are going to be having a free-for-all where we talk about whatever book we want and you do the same. But first, mom, what have you been reading and watching without revealing what your book is for the oh, episode. Yeah. Wow. That's... Well, I did listen to, because we've been toying with the idea of doing a Bridgerton thing, so I did listen to The Duke and I. Yes. Um, again. I mean, I've read it multiple times. And, um, and I plan to continue with that. Yes. Because someone else just listened to them, so I have all the books on my Audible account. Um, See, I did it for you. <laughs> you're so thoughtful. Um, so I listened to that, and then I read a different book. <laughs> you read a different book, and then you read the book's sequel. Then now I'm on the second book in the series of the book I read. Yes. That. And watched. We haven't watched anything this week. Have we watched no. anything? Because I've been, I've been studying my, my brains out. Ellen's been MIA. And um, so that means mom's not allowed to watch anything ever. <laughs> no, so then she ends up watching a lot of Western TV. And, and How I Met Your Mother and, episodes. Yeah, things that I've already seen. So those are the things she's allowed to watch. Um, we are caught up on WandaVision, per oh, usual. Right. We and we did today watched the Ray Jean Page episode of... SNL. SNL, which was delightful. I thought it was really funny. I thought it was funny. The The monologue was... The monologue was hilarious. It's, I, as I said on the group page, uh, horniest episode of uh, SNL ever. <laughs> the audience was, like, into it. Yeah, the audience was quite ruckus. <laughs> um, and you liked the driver's license sketch. I love <laughs> the driver's license sketch. I sent it to my sister-in-law, Kristen, friend of the show, Um because she, her and I are both, like, obsessed with that song. And she was like, yeah, see, they get it. I'm like, I know, right? <laughs> Those guys get it. Um, yeah, because we, we love that song. And as Kristen has said, you know, she's like, I angrily sing that at Ryan. And he has no idea what the hell is going on. Why, like, why are you mad at me? <laughs> <laughs> you have to be. You're a man. <laughs> you did this to me. <laughs> um, anyway, so I, I thoroughly enjoyed uh, that. Also, the Loco song. I have that, like, stuck in my head since I saw that it. That was pretty... It's pretty funny. Entertaining as well. Yeah. Um, anyway, so, for me, that's what I've been watching. Uh, and then reading, I've been reading, um, test prep books. <laughs> lots and lots so of test prep So, I've books. been super exciting. Studying till her eyes bleed. Yeah, literally, like, I was telling moms, my eyes are, like, killing me. And I think it's just from staring at pages all the live long day. Um, I'm taking my test on Tuesday, so for better or for worse, I will be done. <laughs> and, and we'll let you know how that goes. Hopefully don't have to ever take it again. Hopefully. Everybody cross your fingers for me. Um, so yeah, so that's what we've been up to. Not too exciting, but no, super boring. Quiet week. Yes. For well, sure. that's why I was able to listen to so many books because Ellen's been studying, studying, Well, studying. and mom's been like super jazzed on um gardenscapes and oh my god <laughs> matchington mansion or whatever it's called and so she's just been sitting there well i listen to the books and i play my little games on the phone 
here's my problem though. <laughs> is, um, uh, oh yeah, I had some credit card fraud this week, so I had to cancel my credit card, and now I can't do anything on my Apple account. So I can't. She can't buy more like, lives. One out of one amount of lives. I can't play anymore. So I was like, "Gosh, dang it!" <laughs> oh, first world problems. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so today we are doing another episode of what we call the free for all. How it works is that Mom and I have both picked a book that we wanted to read. We're going to talk a little bit about it, and we have also opened it up to you to send in your own what I like to call book reports for a book that you have recently read. And once again, you guys really delivered eventually. Every, I, we only had like three as of this morning and I was like, we need more. And then a lot came in. So oh, good. Yeah. Good. So we are, we are well stocked and I appreciate you guys ag- yet again for, for showing up. We should do a write-in component to this because maybe not everyone's comfortable sending in a... No. Okay. Just the thought. <laughs> I read all the time these comments. And it is a week where your eyes are bleeding. Yes, so. it's true. Um, okay, so I'm going to go first this time. I read Professional Development by Kate Canterbury, who we have featured on the show before. She wrote Before Girl. I was getting okay. her mixed up with who wrote Love Lettering, and now I can't remember that person's name. Kate Claiborne. So Kate Claiborne and Kate Canterbury, I was getting mixed up. If you Kate, ask me what Before Girl is about, I, yeah. I I won't remember. I know. But I do remember reading the book. Yes, likewise. Um, and it was recommended by Lori because in the midst of all my studying, I was looking for just a short, sweet book that still qualified me to say I read a book this week um, for the free-for-all. And I hope you don't think that's cheating, but also I don't really care. Um it's just what I needed in this moment. So, of course, I turned to all of you for some novella recommendations. And just like always, you guys came through. Lori mentioned this book as the hero and heroine are actually teachers. And as I'm studying all of this teaching theory and um, all this crap that I have to learn to... That you'll never use again, ever, <laughs> while you're teaching. I have to be able to learn. Um, the problem is, is it's like... All of world history, all of U.S. history, and then all of math. And well, that's all for a test I didn't have to take. And it's probably because I got mine right after I graduated from college. And you graduated from college a long time ago. So, yeah. so they, um, don't, they don't buy that I remember anything. And they, they'd be right. <laughs> they'd be right. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. uh, so I never had to take that test. But yeah. um, it's not fun. I don't recommend it. Not, not a fan. Um, anyway, so... This book is perfectly in line with my interests right now, and it was actually quite fun because they would mention things, and I was like, oh, the oral reading assessment? You mean Fry's oral reading assessment, where children read for a minute, and then you count how many words they got correct and how many errors that they made, and then you divide that by the average, and then you take that, and that's their total score. I'm getting PTSD. And by first first grade, they're supposed to know 60 words, and by second grade, they're supposed to know 100, and by third grade, they're supposed to read 114. You mean that one? Because I know. know. That. That's more than I know. <laughs> and I taught second graders how to read. Um, anyway, so, uh, yeah. So it was quite fun because it was, like, terms that I recognize from all the stuff I've been learning nonstop for the past couple weeks. Um, so this book is the first in her Benchmarks series. And from what I can tell, it is kind of an offshoot series of another book featured in a different series. 
Um, and this book is about Tess and Drew, who are co-deans at a K-8 through school, and they hate each other. He is kind of the dean over the older grades, and she's kind of over early elementary. And um, I know we say, you know, they hate each other a lot in romance, but these two really are at each other's throats, um, and not always in a charming way. Not always in a, like, oh, but, like... They love each other. Uh, uh, so, although it is not outright said for a while, but it's pretty obvious that Drew is doing it to hide some more amorous feelings, uh, that he's being a dick, you know, to kind hide. Of a hating game situation. Yeah, kind of a hating game, but he's way meaner, I think. <laughs> And she's also way meaner. Well, that's funny because it's only a novella, so they have to exactly. get it. They have to get it fixed up in a very short amount yeah. of time. Um, so of course, their boss decides to send them to a professional development seminar oh, together gosh. so that they can. I don't think I could read that book. <laughs> I'm getting PTSD just listening to you talk about it. <laughs> so that they can network and gain some insight and maybe hopefully learn to get along. Um, and of course, they take that to the nth degree because mm. they get a long. Um, <laughs> I did hand gestures there. Um, so we've got a modicum of force proximity, which is then doubled when they get, wait for it, snowed in. Oh, of course <laughs> they did. That's my problem. I wasn't a teacher where it snows. Um, so yeah, so I really enjoyed this. It was perfect for what I was looking for right now. Right book, right time. Um, and I thought it was, like, novellas, I, and we've talked about this before on the show, I think, um, novellas sometimes tend to be, like, a little too short. Rushed. Or, or, and this one's only 94 pages, so, like, I could have even read a longer novella that still would have classified as novella. Um, and some, yeah, so sometimes I feel like they're kind of rushed, or sometimes I feel like, um, it's really just no plot and lots of sex scenes. Like, they just try to fill the normal sex scene quota in the length of a 94-page novel. Um, but I thought this one was the right mix of all that. Yeah, they have to resolve, like, some crazy animosity towards each other. And um, not only that, but it also, like, kind of gives you a really nice, satisfying epilogue and, um, yeah, I thought it was really cute and sweet. And if you're looking for, like, a forced proximity book where they talk about a lot of teacher stuff, um, <laughs> I, I recommend it. And I, I enjoyed it. So thank you to Lori for the recommendation. Um, it, it served me very well. Um, so first we are going to here from... Excuse me. Oh, I'm in the middle? I'm, yeah, you're in the middle. I'm, I'm, oh, okay. Calm down. Sorry, I didn't know you didn't explain to me beforehand. This is how we've done it every other free-for-all. Okay. Except like the last you, time? <laughs> the last two times. Um, except usually you've gone first. Yeah. So I had me go first. I don't, I don't, I don't understand why I have to be in the middle. Oh but. my gosh. <laughs> okay, so first we're going to hear from first-time caller, um, Arthur... Who, oh. who is going to talk to about, about a book? Wait, that... what does that do to Jason's nickname? Oh, no. <laughs> I can't be singular male listener Jason anymore. Well, he still, that'll still be his title just because 
he held it for so well, Arthur was, might be offended. <laughs> he was the reigning the reigning champ for so long. Um, so let's hear from Arthur, who's going to talk about a book that um, if you saw our announcement this week of the spring reading schedule, oh, it's one of our books. It might sound familiar. So let's hear from Arthur. Hey Ellen. Hey Mom. Hey listeners. This is Arthur. I'm here to recommend a contemporary romance that just came out in January, The X-Talk by Rachel Lynn Solomon. It follows 29-year-old Shay Goldstein, who lives in Seattle and has been working at Pacific Public Radio for a decade, starting out as an intern and climbing her way to senior producer. But she hasn't reached her dream of hosting her own show yet. When the book begins, we see her deeply embroiled in a, in a rivalry with a recent hire, 24-year-old reporter Dominic Young, who can't help but mention his master's degree in journalism from Northwestern at every possible opportunity. The station is looking for new shows to boost their ratings. So they hold a brainstorming session, and that's when Shay pitches a show co-hosted by exes, who can give advice and discuss the ups and downs of their own relationship. An idea which Dominic is quick to reject. The ensuing clash ends up convincing her boss that Shay and Dominic, with their antagonistic chemistry, would be perfect for hosting this show, which gets named The X-Talk. But here's the catch. Shay and Dominic have never gone out. This was an incredibly enjoyable romance written by an author with a clear and thoughtful voice. She takes two of my favorite romance tropes, enemies to lovers and fake dating, and sets them in a workplace romance, then incorporates a twist on the fake dating trope by depicting the romantic leads as two people performing the image of exes for their listeners. I love that it takes place in my hometown and that it becomes a love letter to public radio and podcasting, especially since I'm the kind of person who, who devours podcasts. It's refreshing to follow a romance heroine who's flawed and complex yet believable and someone we easily identify with. She goes on such a deeply personal journey of character evolution that helps her learn not just about romantic love, but also love for yourself, your friends, your family, your career, and your home. It's easy to relate to Dominic as well, and I appreciate that he's the partner who turns out to be sexually inexperienced, yet more emotionally developed compared to Shay. Often in romances, it's the woman, not the man, who fills this role, and the narrative cleverly subverts this trope. There's also a diverse cast, by banter and text messages, and a dog that Shay adopts and names Steve Rogers in honor of the first Avenger. What more could you ask for? The X-Talk by Rachel Lynn Solomon is heartfelt, witty, insightful, and all-around irresistible. So, that's my book report. I can't wait to hear what everyone else submitted for the free fall so I can add them to my TBR pile. Thanks. Bye. Alright, thanks, Arthur. Um... So, spoiler alert, we're going to read that we next week. We're going to read it. And Steve Rogers Steve is Steve Rogers! Dog. So, Arthur, I don't know if you know this, but my dog's name is Steve Rogers. And um, so, and somebody, I feel like it's Catherine who mentioned that we needed to read the X-Talk because there was a dog that was named Steve Rogers. And so, immediately, I was like, yes, we need to get this yes. on the list. Um. <laughs> But yeah, that book report has definitely got me feeling pretty good. I don't want to like go in, I don't want to be let down when I read it next week, but um, it sounds like some tropes I like, some well, podcasting. 
Last so. time when we did our, when we put together the reading list, some of them were from the free-for-all yeah. that people have reported on. Yeah. So true. I think it's a good way to kind of get us jazzed about yeah, reading a book. for sure. Um, thanks so much for that, Arthur. And um, for... And welcome to the show, Arthur. And yes. now I don't know what we're going to, our second male listener. <laughs> well, you know. Um, okay, so next up we have Cassie. So let's hear what Cassie has been reading. Hey everyone, this is Cassie. The book I read for the free for all is Don't Kiss the Bride by Carrie Ann Cole. It's a new release, contemporary romance, and it's available on Kindle Unlimited, which is always nice to find. Um, this book has some of my favorite tropes including marriage of convenience and age gap. So this book probably isn't mom friendly since the heroine is 18 and the hero is 34. And I know Julie is creeped out by that kind of an age gap. Um, but Skylar is our heroine who has been neglected by her parents and has been struggling with some expensive health problems since she doesn't have health insurance. Jude is our hero who becomes Skylar's friend and offers to marry her so she can be on his health insurance plan and start the medical treatment and therapy she needs. They both agree to get married as friends but then end up falling in love. This was a story of two broken people who help each other heal and it ended up being the first five-star book I've read in quite a while. I really loved it. Um, trigger warnings, though, for discussion of an eating disorder and some talk of a loved one dealing with drug addiction. Um, can't wait to hear what everyone else read. Thanks. All right. Thanks for that, Cassie. Yeah, mom did uh, groan a little <laughs> bit at that that mention. Um, but I'm not strictly opposed to that. And it's an intri intriguing plot. And five stars, you say. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, because I've been feeling like I haven't read a good five star in a while. Yeah. Even the ones we've done on the show, I, we haven't had a good I loved this in a long time. Yeah. Well, probably since Riley Thorne. But yeah. Um, but we'd also already read that one. So <laughs> we already knew that we loved it. Um, but okay, that sounds good. That was Don't Kiss the Bride by Carrie and Cole. Um, and I get that not everyone has a problem with it. I, and I think it's probably years of teaching that have made me think, oh, you know, practically high school kids with grown-ups is yeah. just, it makes me shudder a little bit. Um, okay, next we have Elsa. So let's hear from Elsa on what she's been reading. Hello, this is Elsa from Lawrence, Kansas. For this free-for-all episode, I read The Bridegroom Wore Plaid, which is book one in the McGregor series by Grace Burroughs from around 2012. The hero is a Scottish Earl apparent whose older brother... Asher is missing and presumed dead in Canada. He has two younger brothers and a sister who has a daughter of her own. The family money is tied up um, in a trust with a conservator who won't release it until the Duke Asher is found or confirmed dead. This leaves the family in dire straits and Ian McGregor, our hero, as the spare in charge of leading the clan. They've eked out a life selling cattle and hosting paying English Tom in their home, which borders Balmoral. Guests are teased with the possibility of running into Victoria and Albert during their stay, and that makes it a desirable place to visit. The current family they're hosting um, is a baron named Daniels and his son Matthew, their two daughters, Jeannie and Hester, 
and two female chaperones, Augusta and Jules. The eldest daughter, Jeannie, is there to make a match with Ian. However, it's the spinster cousin of the girls, Augusta, who catches his eye. His intended is shy and avoids him, which leads him to develop feelings for Augusta as they spend a lot of time together. They can't stay away from each other and end up passionately in love, despite his plans to marry her cousin for money. Meanwhile, Jeannie makes friends with the younger McGregor, Gill, the other chaperone, who's a widowed uh, relation, who was briefly married to a much older man, tries to bargain for sex with uh, the other brother, Connor, and the McGregor sister, Mary Fran, falls in love with the son, Matthew Daniels. The main story is that Baron Daniels wants his daughter to marry the Earl to gain a title, and so he can have someone to boss around in the house, in the Lords, House of Lords, and um, he's willing to give him a large sum of money in, in exchange for his daughter having a title. But Ian starts to investigate the Baron's finances, and things just aren't adding up. Specifically, Augusta was told she would inherit. She inherited nothing when her parents died a few years ago, and now the properties went to her uncle instead of her are somehow profitable. He clearly detests Augusta and attempts to kill her throughout the book. At the end of the book, sees lots of happy married couples, some expect unexpected wealth, um, but some of the things didn't totally make sense to me, like. Um, when Asher, the eldest brother, is considered legally dead, um, they find out, but the money in the trust somehow isn't ever brought up again, um, which is mentioned at the beginning. Um, and as a reader, I could tell that the Baron was uh, seriously into shenanigans, and I just wanted to yell at them all the time. It's really Augusta's land that the Baron has claimed for his own. Come on, you guys, get it together. <laughs> um, I have to admit that even though he was cruel and his motives seemed to be driven by greed and a desire for power, I didn't really understand why he hated Augusta so much and why he was trying to kill her. I guess maybe he was nervous that she would figure out that he lied about her inheritance. Um, either way, I loved how sweet Ian was. Um, he was proud, gentle, passionate, and honorable. He tried to let Augusta go in the end, but she thankfully had the sense to stay and make her take him take her as his wife um and the you know the thing i really like about grace burroughs i've read a number of her other books um is her ability to describe places and make you like really relate to them without getting too lyrical um i'd rate it as a semi-mom friendly book there's certainly some steamy scenes but they don't dominate the story um it's more about their um affection for each other and um I was glad to see a spinster heroine who wasn't afraid to fall in love again, even though she had a backstory of being taken advantage of by a man. Um, and I just love a good Scottish historical. <laughs> this one ticked most of my boxes. It had grumpy men, grumpy men, family loyalty, secret rendezvous in the woods, a man who takes care of all the women and men in his life, and of course, unexpected fortune. I read book two of this series back in 2019, but I might read it again since I don't remember it at all. Um, it's about Hester, the younger Daniel's sister, um, and her story. And I think there's a novella about Math Mary, Fran, and Matthew. And then um, looks like the third book is about Asher. So I guess he's not dead after all. <laughs> but that's uh, my recommendation for this um, this season. Thank you. Thank you, Elsa. Um, sounds pretty bonkers. Yeah, it does. And it sounds uh, 
quasi at least Highland romance and I haven't read a good Highland romance in a while I was just thinking um we did read uh The Virtuoso by Grace Burroughs yes and then I know that I've read some at least one other by her um but I can't think what it is right now um but yeah that sounds it does sound bonkers uh sounds very uh mustache twirly mustache twirly villain is in there which you know i i enjoy a good mustache twirly villain every now and again um so thank you for that elsa again that was the bridegroom wore plaid by grace burrows uh next up we have jen s uh with what she has been reading lately so let's hear from jen hi it's jen here for another free-for-all book talk this time I chose the book Love Wrecked by Karina Hale. I know you reviewed a book of hers, one of her royal books, and didn't like it. I tried listening to that book as well. I didn't like that one either. But Karina's travel books, I really enjoy. She always talks about wonderful places you want to go. In fact, uh, my husband and I went to Amalfi Coast for our anniversary because of the book Race for the Sun. So, Love Wrecked. I'll begin by reading you the back cover description, just so you can get a taste of what, what the book is about. Um, so, here we go. Daisy Lewis is experiencing a relentless string of bad luck. Fortunately, Daisy has her sister's destination wedding of New Zealand coming up, a week of sand, sea, and sun in the South Pacific, as her maid of honor is exactly what Daisy needs to forget her upturned life and focus on the positive. That is, until Daisy meets the best man. If you take tall, dark, and handsome and add a dash of rugged, a pinch of brooding, and a whole lot of sexy, you got Ty Wakefield. Unfortunately, he's a major grump, total alpha, and seemingly out to antagonize Daisy at every turn. As if being part of the wedding with Ty wasn't bad enough, Daisy's bad luck soon resurfaces when she ends up on a cramped sailboat with Ty and the newlyweds, which then shipwrecks on a deserted island near Fiji. So that's the premise. Uh... Everyone's shipwrecked on this deserted island. Um, Daisy and her sister Lacey do not get along. Um, that's why Ty has a initially a bad impression of Daisy because he's only heard stories from her sister Lacey. So they're all stuck on this boat first and then on this island. And they have to deal with their issues. But fear not, this actually is a rom-com and uh, Karina Hale is pretty good at keeping it light. There are angsty moments, but overall it's pretty funny. And there's lots of lost jokes and castaway jokes thrown in. It's, it's actually a really fun book. It has the, the grumpy hero trope as well as forced proximity I just, I really like this book. Daisy's a great heroine. She's an optimist. She, um, she, she has a lot of th 
feelings that she tries to hide behind the smiles. People think she's lucky and being handed things to her, but really she's just coping behind a smile. So it's really interesting to see her paired up with Ty, who also has a hard past, but he's just a grump. <laughs> he's He doesn't try to hide his feelings. He's just a grump. But when he cares about you, he's very protective and uh, will do anything for you. Like he's a marshmallow center. So the two of them together are, it's it's a really nice combination. And then to see Daisy and her sister Lacey work out their issues, it was, it's, um, it was very good. So that's basically the book. I really enjoyed it. Um, it's, it was a rom-com, but it had depth, and uh, I highly recommend it. Thanks for that, Jen. Um, well, first of all, you had me at Grumpy Hero, and then that premise, uh, color me <laughs> intrigued. I like uh, the idea of a shipwreck. Um, it kind of reminds me of uh, Move Up or Darling. No, Love or Come Back, the Doris oh, Day movie yeah. where she gets, no... That's, yeah, that's Move Over Darling, um, where she gets stuck on a desert island with some other guy and then comes home. And her Chuck Connors. She gets stuck on the island with Chuck Connors. <laughs> yeah, but her husband is freaking James Gardner. Yeah. Um, right. I was supposed to marry James Gardner. <laughs> um, Speaking of castaway references, so just this week, little background on me, um, Sunday, Ellen looked at me and she said, Mom, oh what's God. wrong with your face? And so, like, the whole side of my face was swollen, and then Monday was a holiday, so I couldn't call my dentist, but my face was still swollen. So Tuesday, so on Monday, I let, called and left a message, and then Tuesday morning, my dentist called me and said, you need to come in right away. So I went in, and apparently I had a severely abscessed tooth. Yeah, cute. <laughs> and so they had to, um, I had to have an emergency root canal, ugh. Um, but anyway, so I'm sitting in the dentist chair, and we're talking about my abscessed tooth, and I said... Man, I have visions of me being Tom Hanks having to knock my tooth out with an ice skate. And I don't think my dentist was, <laughs> was a castaway, got my castaway reference. But... I don't see your dentist <laughs> being being hip to your And so I was like, gosh, um, yeah, my castaway reference was, you know. Completely wasted. Wasted. Oh, gosh. Anyway, back to Jen's book. <laughs> um... No, no, no. It's all about me. Enough about your rotten tooth. <laughs> That was melting inside your brain. I got it fixed, by the way, and I'm fine. <laughs> Whatever. Um, but that sounds good. And um, Karina, okay, so Swedish Prince was the book that we read. We did not love it. Didn't love it. I, I seem to remember, though, that it was another one of those. You liked it better than I did, and I was kind of harsh on it. Yeah, I think in it, it was one of those that we kind of ragged on more than, like, we disliked it. We didn't it. hate it. Yeah. Um, but we did still avoid Karina Halley at, uh, at Book Bonanza. <laughs> we will, we will say that. Um, but I'm always willing to give especially second chances, maybe yes. not necessarily third, fourth and fifth chances. <laughs> um, but especially second chances. And yeah, that premise, uh, yeah. is intriguing. So maybe when my life has settled down, I will, Find the time to check it out. Um, so thank you for that, Jen. Um, next up, we have Jess with what she has been reading lately. So let's hear from Jess. Hi, Ellen. Hi, Mom. It's Jess. 
I am calling with my book report for this week's free for all episode. I read My Darling Duke by Stacey Reed, the first book in her Sinful Wallflower series. The series is about a group of friends, wallflowers, who are facing some difficult circumstances and they decide they're each going to take control of their own fate. This first book is about Catherine Danvers, known to her friends as Kitty. Kitty lives with her mother and two younger sisters. Her father has died some time before and left a mountain of debt and her family is facing financial ruin. So Kitty hatches a plan. She's going to impress and gain favor in society and hopefully enable her sisters to make good matches by announcing that she's engaged to this reclusive, mysterious Duke of Thornton, um, whose name is Alexander. Kitty announces the engagement by sending a notice to the gossip newspaper and then Everything sort of starts spinning out of control from there. Suddenly, reporters are seeking her out for interviews. Um, She's getting new ball gowns on the Duke's account. And then even the Duke's lawyers come and set her and her family up in this new fashionable house. All of this reaches Alexander, who's living in his country castle with his younger sister and servants who are more like friends and family than servants. Um, Alexander has suffered over the past decade. Um, he was in a terrible accident, uh, that, and suffered burns in a fire that ended up taking his parents' lives. Uh, he uses a wheelchair some of the time, but he can walk. Sometimes though, he uses cane to help him walk. Alexander has also been told by his doctors that he's impotent and will not be able to father children. So Alexander has decided for those reasons that he's not going to marry and that he'll let the dukedom pass to his cousin upon his death. But, dear reader, we know that Alexander's resolve not to marry will be tested. Anyway, Alexander is intrigued by all these newspaper articles and tales about his supposed fiancé, Kitty, that he decides to go to London and meet her. And, needless to say, he's pretty intrigued. So the story sort of takes off from there as Kitty and Alexander get to know each other... Uh, like each other, and eventually fall in love with each other. And let me just say that things in Alexander's pants also start to feel things. Wink, wink. Um, anyway, this book is perfect for lovers of historical romance who like wallflowers, a tortured, scarred, grumpy hero, a strong, independent heroine, a spin on Beauty and the Beast. In this case, Alexander has a wonderful library and even a treasure room um, uh, for readers who also like slow burn romance, witty dialogue and banter, an only one bed moment, wooing through letters and small gifts. Um, so it, it kind of has a lot of the things that romance readers love. I really enjoyed the book and recommend it. Also, at the time of this recording, the ebook is currently on sale for 99 cents, so it's a steal if you would like to check it out. Um, so that's my book report. Can't wait to hear what everyone else is reading and add more to my TBR. Thanks. Thank you, Jess. Um, that sounds intriguing. There's a lot there to there's, love. There's a lot of things there that I like. And I had to look up Stacy Reed while you were talking because... Um, I was like, I know I've read some Stacey Reed, but it was like when I first started reading romance. So it was a long time ago. And I read her, apparently I read her entire Wedded by Scandal. Now, if you ask me anything about what any of those books are about, I would not be able to tell you. Um, did I read Wedded by Scandal? No, because it was pre me 
It was pre-you reading them, I think. <laughs> um, anyway, so that sounds uh, quite intriguing. And yeah, you can't beat 99 cents. Yeah. Go buy a 99 cent book. <laughs> Shoot. Um, and we're excited because Jess, quote unquote, won the opportunity That's to right. uh, do an episode with us in the spring lineup. So she's going to be joining us for the Whiteout episode. So we're excited to get to hang out with Jess a little bit um, this coming month. Um, okay. And then before we take a break, we have one more. And it's um, it's a three for one because we have uh, Jessica, Jason, and Megan with what they have been reading together. They have this cute little they subgroup. Their own little subgroup. Yeah, which I love. Um, so let's hear from them on what they have been reading. All right. Take it away, Hi, Megan. Hi, Mom and Ellen and all the Know Uh, this is Megan, Jessica, and Jason, uh, the little side book group. We started with our IAD, moved on to Sarah McLean, and we're doing our group book report again. Um, this was my pick. We've done Jessica and Jason's picks before. I chose Captivated by Tessa Bailey and Eve Dangerfield. And I read this in late summer, I think last year, and I loved it and I, I wanted to gush about it a bit with, with my friends. So I picked this one this time. A quick little synopsis. We start with Autumn, who has recently been, uh, recently moved to New York with her boyfriend she's from Australia and she moved to follow her boyfriend as he's following his improv comedy actor dreams and then about six months in finds out that he's been cheating on her with a bunch of improv groupies so she kicks him to the curb and we start about two weeks after that and she is basically a hot mess uh she's gone to work during the week she's a vet but then on the weekend, her apartment has become like a black hole of nothingness, of uh, leftovers and grossness. And she's playing Arkham Asylum all night. She's just basically hasn't showered, hasn't done anything to keep herself up because she's depressed and doesn't know if she should go back to Australia or not. And the landlord rings the doorbell because her rent hasn't gone through. So... She opens the door, is all freaking out. She doesn't want him to see how horrible her house is. And <laughs> he tells her what's going on. And uh, long story short, she writes down her account, new account information for him. And <laughs> later realizes she wrote it on a piece of paper that includes an erotic drawing she did of him dominating her. And thus begins our tale. <laughs> <laughs> so um they they end up talking about it afterwards and and he realizes that you know she would be into him uh treating her as a captive hence the title captivated and they begin a sort of um friends with benefits relationship at the beginning but he is very concerned about her feeling safe and so he decides that they have to go on three dates so that she feels safe with him and, and knows him outside of the context of the bedroom. And um, he is basically the ultimate hero for me. So he's like a giant 6'5", bearded, grumpy hermit 
um, <laughs> who owns the building. He restores old books. Um, I don't know what else. He wears flannel. Is basically you like pulled him we out. We learned a lot about Megan. Yeah, no, we learned a lot about Megan when you heard the hero. And don't forget, he has muscles on muscles on muscles. That's yeah. that, I mean, that helps. That's just gravy, you know. <laughs> um. So he has a lot of uh, trauma in his past that he has basically like shut himself off from the whole world. He doesn't even go outside during the day, but he has always, since Autumn moved in, he has had a crush on her and seen her as sunshine. And for someone who doesn't go out during the day, having sunshine around is like a big deal. So they start their relationship. Um, I'll do a content warning in a minute, but uh, they, they start with their fun little games and as things go on, they get closer and closer and, you know, romance things happen. Um, there's a, there's a big possibility of her returning to Australia. She has to decide if she's going to stay in New York because she doesn't know if she likes it or not. Kind of kicked her ass. So she's just not sure if she wants to do that. And the big conflict occurs and I think we can see things from both sides, which is great. I love a conflict that I can agree with both sides. He oversteps, but not for, he does it for good reasons. Um, just a little too far. And she's upset for very valid reasons. They don't wait too long. They don't turn off the phones. <laughs> so we're all very happy with that. It's very swoony. For a book that has a lot of sex in it, it is a very swoony book and um i will also say that the um sex scenes do really push the plot forward uh they're not just gratuitous and uh it's definitely not a mom's safe book which is definitely gonna make mom want to read it but i actually don't think she would like it <laughs> so here's my my content warning is that let's see i wrote it down is that everything is entirely consensual. Um, the heroine has fantasies of being held captive. So the book includes scenes um, with faux stalking, the heroine being tied up. She does say things like no and stop, but they do have a very clearly defined safe word. Um, and the hero is also uh, very aware of being safe throughout all of the scenes that they perform and um, listening and taking pauses and being aware of like her responses to things. He even goes as far as saying the safe word within the context of one of the scenes, just to make sure that she's reminded that she has that to use. So, um, so yeah. So if that's not your thing, don't read this book. If you, it, it's not like a B it's not like any other BDSM book I've ever read because they're not like in a club, you know, performing scenes in front of other people with whips and chains and anything like that. Not that they're not to yuck anyone's yums on those. I've read a bunch of those, but this is a very different kind of book in that, in that context. It's Blake. That's the hero giving autumn what she needs. And she's never been able to get this in, in any other relationship. In fact, the ex-boyfriend had made fun of her for when she said that she wanted to try those things. And uh, it's always about the hero Blake giving her what she needs. And that's like over and over in the book, giving her exactly what she needs. And that's why I like him a puddle on the floor for him because he's just so slowly, even as damaged as he is. So... <laughs> 
so I'm going to pass it off so you don't have to hear me anymore. I'm going to pass it off to Jessica and Jason to do their uh, their thoughts and swooniness. Uh, Jason first. Okay. Well, I like this book. I didn't like it as much as you did. Uh, not only is this not mom friendly, it's not papa friendly either. It was uh, <laughs> it was the uh, first delve into um, uh, alternative um, bedroom play for me. Uh, I did think Blake was great. Autumn sounded really funny. She's really tiny. He's huge. Like, you know, he calls her fun size. Like he could, you know, pick her up by the head and move her around. So, and I even had a swoony moment, swoony moment because he does punch the ex-boyfriend in the face, which we all knew he needed. They dated for six years. He never paid for a meal. How do you date someone for six years and one of you never pay for a meal? I was like, what the hell? Uh, so, but Autumn was, um, she was really cute. I thought the side characters of the book really helped with a lot of the inner angst that um, they were both having. He had cut off all of his friends and through her, he kind of reconnects and that helps them. So I liked the book. I thought it was really good. I thought um, it seemed at times like it was one long sex thing to me, but it was the fact that they were either discussing it, plotting it, planning it, or carrying it out. So it was moving the story along. But uh, I liked the book. I thought it was really well written. I thought the side characters were good. I just didn't love it at the level that uh, some of us might have. <laughs> and I didn't even know there were improv groupies, but apparently... Um, they will perform sexual acts for you if you're good at improv. <laughs> so Ian was a garbage to... person. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm kind of somewhere in between Jason and Megan, probably on the like scale. Um, I definitely struggled at, in some of their like foreplay leading up to some of the scenes just because it wasn't for me, not to yuck anyone's yum again, but it just was not for me. But um. I did still really like this book. I He was everything Megan said he was. He was swoony. He cared about her needs. You know, when he had been fantasizing about her before they got together, it wasn't in the same vein as what she wanted. So, like, that made me like it more because I felt like he's doing this for her. He's not doing this to control her. And he was never dominating or controlling outside of the bedroom. He was, like, a big, fat cinnamon roll who just, like, wanted to like make her happy and buy her $200 desserts at dinner. So, you know, how can you go wrong with that? I mean, so he was very sweet. He definitely, and he pushed her to think about things and to try new things and to think things through. And I just think that they both helped each other grow, which is what you want in one of these romance novels for sure. And I did like the conflict too, because it, I could see both si both of their sides in all the areas of aspects of the conflict. And also for me, it's always a good conflict when they separate from each other and immediately they're like, oh, we shouldn't have done that. You know, like uh, he was like, I messed up. I messed up. I messed up. Like, what am I going to do? And she was like, I overreacted. How am I going to fix it? You know, like, so they both realized immediately that they cared about each other too much. So anyway, I, I liked it. I definitely think it is not mom friendly <laughs> and mom would not like it. But um, there are lots of good things that I loved about this book. So, oh, and I, and Autumn is hilarious. She is um, hilarious. I would say the, the one one specific thing that's not 
mom friendly is it the the use of the c word and that's because autumn is australian and so they use it as like a curse word all the time and that's actually a topic like they talk about that in the book so i know how mom feels about that so I thought of mom immediately the I, first time. Yeah, I was like, but it's all, I was like, I didn't know Australians use that word all the time. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I, I highlighted so much in this book just because Blake has so many swoony thoughts and um, just something that was in the scene of like the major conflict. I mean, actually before that, before Blake, uh, Blake is very taciturn and barely talks for a good portion of the book. Um, <laughs> except for Dirty Talk. He's very good at Dirty Talk, we will say. Well, that. it is a Tessa Bailey book, so. It is Tessa Bailey, yes. Um, but as something that um, is going, something that really had an impact on me for the, um, in the conflict scene, because it's all about, you know, Blake giving Autumn what she needs the whole time. So this is a, a quote that I had from there. In the end, knowing Autumn needed something forced Blake to take one final look at her before turning and walking away. Passing a very concerned and newly arrived Owen and Ryan as he went, half of himself remained in pieces on the sidewalk, scattered in his wake. He thought he'd known loss, but he hadn't known a fucking half, had he? This was loss. And this is because she asked him to leave. She said, I need you to leave. And that was just like, he had to give her what she needed. And I was in pieces on the sidewalk too. With him because he just was trying to do what he thought she would want, but it wasn't quite right. <laughs> My swoony moment was he's trying to get her the whole time. He's trying to get her to like see herself in a different light because she is always doing what her parents want her to do. She's always doing what Ian needs her to do. She's always doing what her friends want her to do. And she's never doing stuff for her. She dreams about things for her. She has notebooks and notebooks full of like things she wants to do. And she doesn't do them because she's always taking care of everybody else. And she finally opens up to him about some of her drama with her family And she's really embarrassed afterwards. Like she feels like she shouldn't have burdened him with this or, you know, and he says, you know, he makes her look at him, which I love when he calls her fun size. And he says, you deserve to be the center of attention more than anyone I've ever met. And I just thought that was so sweet. So anyway, I loved that. They did let the ex-boyfriend at least have a little bit of a redeeming moment when he told her he had read her comedy books or comedy notebook and she was better than him. I thought that was at least you, you took him down at least a level from because there for a while you're like how could you have dated such an idiot so true and that was like over they they go through a period of time where they are you know it kind of skips time jumps a little bit when they've been you know kind of doing their thing and uh i i love this little part where it said uh where his bedside drawer had once been empty it was now filled with rope handcuffs a gag a notepad for ransom letters new pictures he'd taken of autumn on the sly and the panties he'd confiscated but when she left her joke notebook there such a private part of herself that had been the most satisfying item of them all (laughs) (laughs) okay we're at 15 minutes so we gotta go good (laughs) bye ellen and mom bye I know I say this every time, but I love that they have like their little subgroup. <laughs> I just I love that. Um, thank you guys so much for sending in that book. Um, because that will never get read on the show. 
Well, I love, well, that, I love that they're watching out for me. <laughs> and I love that they know you so well. That, that they're... I don't like the C word. And, you know, I, I probably wouldn't be into the S&M sex. But... Um. So, I mean, so it might get talked about in the fact that maybe I'll read it, but mom <laughs> is not going to read it. Um, I will no comment on whether or not I've read any BDSM books, mom. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, no judgment. Whatever. Whatever floats your boat. Yeah. Um, anyway, so... Uh, yeah, and as soon as they were talking about a BDSM book by Tessa Bailey, I'm like, oh, that's going to be dirty <laughs> and have lots of dirty talk, which we know that I hate. I don't like dirty talk. Um, oh, is that right? Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, so yeah, so that was, that was quite delightful to hear you guys talk about, uh, all the things that mom would not like. <laughs> Um, so again, that was Jessica, Jason, and Megan with Captivated by Tessa Bailey and Eve Dangerfield. And for now, we are going to take a quick break because we have some business to take care of. Um, and then we'll be back to hear from some more of you on what you've been reading. And mine. And, and mom's. Gosh. (laughs) So stay with us. It's time for a break. It's time for a break. The break is when we do the news and mail. I like surprise mom with the break jingle now. Um, okay, so a couple things. First of all, as kind of hinted at previously, we have the spring lineup was announced this past week in the midst of everything else I was doing. Um, so I'm going to run through what we have coming up in the, in the next few months and, um, you know, what we have to look forward to to read together. Um, so March 1st, next week, we will be talking about The X-Talk by Rachel Lynn Solomon. Um, March 8th, we have The Varley and the Voyeur by L.H. Causeway oh, yeah. and, what's this? Penny, Penny Reed? Reed? <laughs> we went an entire lineup without talking about Penny Reed, so we had to put her back in there. Well, that's when we were doing this, the free-for-all. It's like, on March 2nd, a Penny Reed book comes out. And the next uh, Veronica Speedwell book comes out. Yeah. And I was like, oh, it just been a month later. Yeah, I know. We would have had so much so much to talk about. <sighs> um, March 15th, we're talking about A Lady's Formula for Love by Elizabeth Everett. March 22nd, we're talking about How to Fail at Flirting by Denise Williams. Um, now, Catherine has alerted us that there's some trigger warnings for that book. So um, if you want to be aware of some of those, keep an eye out on the Facebook group because we will post about them uh, when we get closer to that book. Um, March 29th, we are talking about White Out by Adriana Anders, and that is what Jess is going to be joining us for. April 5th is when we're going to talk about a movie. We're talking about The Philadelphia Story, starring Katherine Hepburn and James Stewart and Cary Grant. So... I have seen that, but it's been a very long Likewise. time. And I think I, the last time I saw it, I was not quite of an age to maybe fully appreciate it. Um, April 12th, we were reading The Heiress Hunt by Joanna Shoup. Uh, April 19th, Shipped by Angie Hockman. April 26th, we are reading Sally Thorne's new book, yeah. Second First Impressions. Super excited about that. May 3rd, we're reading The Invitation by Vi Keeland. May 10th, Dreaming of You by Lisa Klapis. 
um, an oldie but goodie. Uh, May 17th, Dating Plan by Sarah Desai. And then May 24th, we'll be doing our free-for-all. And then we're going to take a break the next week for um, Memorial, Day. Memorial Day here in the U.S. And also just because we want to take a break. Um, so that is the lineup. And I'm pretty excited about quite a, quite a few of these. I mean, we have mostly new authors. We've talked about Joanna Shute before and Lisa Kleypas before and Sally, Sally Thorne. Thorne. And, of course, Penny Reed, but not L.H. Cosway. So, yeah. Um, so lots of uh, new new fresh blood. We'll see how they fare. Um, and we're excited to read these books with you guys. So let us know what you're excited to read. And um, we hope that you'll all stay tuned with us through all of those. The other item of business is we have the... I keep wanting to call it the trope challenge. It's not really a trope challenge anymore. It's an around the world it's challenge. It's the around the world with romance challenge. Um, and it's for January, which was Africa. Africa. Um, and so, Mom, who's the winner for Africa? Miriam Laird. Miriam Laird! We are going to hear from Miriam later in the episode as well. Um, but congratulations, Miriam. And Jessica will be in contact with you. Jessica, who we just heard from. Jessica, who we just heard from. <laughs> um, and who we're so appreciative of for all of her help with that. And um, I know... This month is, so February is South America, so get your South America reads in um, and uh, get those on the thread about the romance challenge. Um, And yeah, so we will see you for the next break segment. Bye. Welcome back. So now, just to get her off my freaking back, <laughs> we're going to hear from Mom on what she read. So, Mom, what have you been reading? <laughs> well, um, actually, I was having a hard time coming up with a book. She was. And Ellen mentioned that someone had tweeted us. Oh, yes. Let me figure out who that was. And said, they treat us with a book description that she thought I would really like. Yes. She, she mentioned... Um, Okay, it's uh, at squirrel underscore ong on Twitter. No, that's her name. Her name is at Jaylee underscore Joe 22 on Twitter. She um, recommended a book. And if you like Code of Honor. Yeah. No, no. No, it was um, if you like Camilla Monk Spotless. Spotless. And I was like, well, you know who really liked Camilla Monk Spotless (laughs) series was mom. So I'm going to tell mom about it. So she recommended the book um, Flirting with Danger, which is a Samantha Jellico book by Suzanne Enoch. Yes. And um, so that's the book that I which read. Which we've read England's Perfect Hero yes. by Suzanne Enoch. Suzanne Enoch. Um, anyway, it's about Samantha uh, Jellico, who is a cat burglar, you would say. And so she breaks into this billionaire's house to steal something she's been hired to steal something for from him and um while she's there he interrupts her while she's breaking into his house and then this bomb goes off in his house and she actually she's wearing a 
Kevlar. Kevlar vest. And she throws herself on him. She saves his life. And then afterwards, he's knocked unconscious and she drags him down to where he'd be safe and not in the fire or anything. And so um, she, but now one of his security guards is killed when the bomb goes off. And they are blaming her for having set off the bomb or having bombed the house. And she didn't put the bomb there. And so she goes to the billionaire, sneaks into his house one night and um, says, I didn't do this. And he says, I know you didn't do this or you wouldn't have saved my life. And um, she says, so I need you to help me clear my name. So they start working together to figure out who did it to help her clear her name. Well, you know, he's a hot, hunky billionaire, of course. <laughs> Lots of sex ensues. Yeah. And um, no, but it was fun because it was kind of a mystery, kind of a... Um, Adventure. You know, yeah, suspense. Action adventure. Action adventure. And crazy stuff happens. And um, then there's and there's a lot of sex. And he's super hot. So um, I'm reading the second book right now. It was a fun read. Really fun read. Um, and now I'm... And so they kind of get together. And in the second book, they are trying to sort out all their problems that they have. Because yeah. <laughs> she's not the typical girl that he dates. And um, he's used to people just... Falling in line? Yes, doing what he wants. And she's like, nuh-uh. And uh, anyway, so it's they're, they're fun reads. It's very entertaining, and I'm enjoying them immensely. Good. So good recommendation. Yes. Um, yeah, so thank you to our new friend on Twitter who, who recommended that. Um, okay. Enough of us. Gosh, we're boring. Let's... <laughs> We talk about this all the time. <laughs> Let's get back to you guys. Uh, so next up we have Catherine with what she's been reading. So let's hear from Catherine. Hey everyone. This time I read The Hunt Masquerade by Millie Tayden. I've been reading a lot of Werewolf, Shifter, Faded Mates lately, and I go back and forth on my feelings about the Faded Mates trope. It's not one I necessarily gravitate towards, and it can sometimes feel like a lot of insta-love out of nowhere, but I do get the appeal that you and your person, or wolf or whomever, are meant to be together. So for this one, The Hunt Masquerade by Millie Tayden, I like the approach that the wolf shifter hero Rush takes. He's at a party and he sees this beautiful woman, Chantel. She's a clothing designer. And his wolf is like, hey, by the way, that's our mate. And instead of claiming her or being weird about it, he takes it as a signal that he should get to know her and spend time with her. So it's a much more rational approach than we normally see with faded mates. And I think the other shifters could take notes from Rush because his way was a lot more effective at winning over his lady. It's part of a series but I read the second one first, so you really don't need to read them in order. There is an overarching paranormal-style conflict, but the chunk of it that was in this book was easy enough for someone like me who usually struggles with fantasy plots to follow. This was my first Millie Tayden book, but it looks like she has a ton of books, and now I'm reading the first one in the series, The Hunt. So I would recommend this one for anyone who is in the middle of reading a ton of werewolf books or other shifter books and you want to throw in a different kind of hero or a different kind of plot line, add this one to the mix. It's cute. It's fun. 
And I know that everyone was asking for werewolf books back in October, not necessarily now in the middle of February, but that's what I got. All right, y'all take care. Bye. Hey, Catherine, werewolves can be read any time of the year. <laughs> it's just that, you know, October is when we're all seeking them out, I guess. Um, but that sounds cute. And yeah, I agree. Like, um, I, I, I enjoy a good faded mate every once in a while, but, um, but yeah, sometimes their approach is a little ham-handed uh, or ham-fisted, <laughs> I guess is the phrase. Um, and yeah, I think if they all just worked with a little more finesse that they might be a little more successful in their initial approach. Instead of just, we need to do this. Yeah, instead of just being like, I must have you now and I will take you to my dungeon and <laughs> Well, a lot of times the women are just you. like, yes, do it. And it's like, geez. Oh, mom's, mom hasn't read any Cressley Cole where they are not like, <laughs> yes, please do it. They're like, oh, hell no. Um, that's usually how that goes. I haven't, you won't let me read Cressley Cole. <laughs> now that I've broken you... <laughs> Maybe, maybe we could do a Cressley Cole, but I don't know. It's been a while since I read a Cressley Cole. Maybe I'm not remembering them accurately. Um, but maybe this one would be good because it sounds, she says it's sweet. So maybe it's less Cressley Cole-esque. Um, all right. Thank you for that, Catherine. That was again, Catherine with The Hunt, colon, Masquerade by Millie Tayden. Um, next let's hear from Miriam and her cute accent on what she's been reading. Hi, it's Miriam here. Um, I decided to reread Ava Ibbotson's The Morning Gift. Ava Ibbotson was born in Vienna, but moved to England with her mother in the mid-30s when she was about eight years old. And there are a few elements of her life that influence this book. Viennese non-practicing Jewish family with a scientific background escaped to England before the war. Although Ruth, the protagonist, has a happier family than Ava's was. As a side note, I only looked at her Wikipedia page for the first time recently and her dad had quite an interesting life, but this is not about him, so I'll leave that there. Eva Ibbotson is nowhere near well-known enough in my opinion, but if she is, it's more as a children, children's book author. Uh, her book, The Secret of Platform 13, has an opening on Platform 13 of King's Cross Station to a wonderful mythical paradise. If that sounds familiar, it was published in 1994, three years before Harry Potter, but Ibbotson had no issues with J.K. Rowling, commenting, We all borrow from each other as writers. I look forward to reading her children's books with my kids when they're a bit older, but I first came across her as a romance writer. I think I discovered her in the stacks of my college library, but I'm not really sure anymore. I've returned to her books many times over the years. In March 1938, Quinn Somerville is on an expedition in India when he hears that Hitler has annexed Austria. He's due to be conferred with an honorary degree in Vienna, arranged by a professor he'd worked with years before. He decides to still go, but at the ceremony, Professor Berger is nowhere to be found. When he goes to the professor's house, he finds only Ruth, the, da the daughter. She was leaving for England on a student transport, but due to complications, she was taken off the train at the border and couldn't leave. She lied to her parents so that they would not wait behind themselves, and now she's all alone in Vienna. Quinn tries to make inquiries at the British Embassy, but it seems there's no way to help her, except one that he wouldn't consider. However, when Ruth tells him of her plan to pretty much sound of music it across the mountains to Switzerland, he decides to do that one thing he can do to help, 
and soon they're on their way to England on the Orient Express, with Ruth travelling on Quinn's passport as his wife. When they get to England, the plan is to have the marriage annulled, but they have to wait for Ruth's papers to come through, and in the meantime, she asks that he keep it a secret. They go their separate ways with a plan to communicate only through a solicitor, but obviously that's not how it's going to go. You have to leave your cynicism at the door when you start any of Ibbotson's books. They're kind of fairy tales for adults, and yet in no way would I say they were unsophisticated. She'll manage with one line to give a throwaway character a complete backstory, for example. Um, anyway, Ruth's parents have found a place to stay in Belsize Park, where Ibbotson and her mother first lives them, live themselves. And they and the other refugees are trying to make a place for themselves, have their qualifications recognised or get any kind of work related or not to their previous careers. Everybody falls for Ruth's charms. I mean, if you were to be cynical, you could say that she's a type of manic pixie dream girl. She's emotional and wears her heart on her sleeve, wants to help everybody, loves nature, art, music, wants to understand everything, believes that everybody deserves love. She talks too much, asking one character at a certain point whether she should stay quiet, that she can, but it will be difficult. She has a tendency to overthink. I'm not really selling her well here. She probably comes off a bit annoying or too much, but I love her. Tied in with her love of music is her love of Heine, her fiancé. They've known each other since they were children when a relative of Ruth's married Heine's father. Heine was a piano prodigy and Ruth has loved him since she first saw him playing Mozart and he suggested that she could be his starling. She explains to Quinn later that Mozart had a starling that used to sing and sing and sing but never bothered him. And what happened to him? Quinn asks. He died, Ruth admitted. It would, commented Quinn. They're not cage birds, are they? Ruth has been the support to Heine's rising star and he takes her for granted. He's kind of obliviously obnoxious. Ruth does everything to raise the deposit for a piano for him, involving everybody in her quest, and he's disappointed with it. For all of Ruth's intelligence and emotions, she has a bit of a blind spot when it comes to Heine. She's grown up with this love story, convinced herself that they are made for each other and she needs to devote herself to him, but it's more of a platonic calf love and it takes a while for her to realise this. The scene where Ruth and Heine try to make love for the first time is so painfully hilarious, it's almost farcical. I mean, in case this doesn't come across in anything I say here, this is a really funny book. And when I say everybody falls for Ruth's charms, that's everybody except the villains of the story, of course. Continuing with the fairy tale theme, the villains of Ibbotson's romances are cartoonishly evil. There are no shades of grey here. In The Morning Gift, these are Verena Plackett and her mother. Verena's father is the new vice-chancellor at the university where Quinn is a professor. Verena's mother is from an upper-class family. But poor girl, she had to make do marrying, with marrying the son of an accountant. Verena and her mother have their eye on Quinn as a match for Verena, and this Jewish refugee seems to keep getting in the way. As Lady Plackett puts it, Well, of course, it doesn't do to say so, but one can't help feeling that they've rather taken over. Of course, one can't entirely approve of what Hitler is doing. Verena is bookishly intelligent, able to read up on any topic to suit any dinner guests, but can't get the hint that Quinn has absolutely no interest in her. Despite the plan to avoid each other until after the dissolution of their marriage, Ruth ends up at Quinn's university when her original place falls through, 
and although she tells him she will make herself invisible, things do not work out that way, and with each interaction you sense them getting closer. You do read their thoughts, but they are never outright thinking about their admiration and growing feelings for the other. It's like they're both guarded in this respect. Quinn believes that Ruth is in love with Heine, and Ruth believes Quinn needs to be free to marry somebody like Verena. But we do know that she is happy when a scarf she has seen in his office turns out to belong to his aunt and not a girlfriend, and he is irritated by mentions of Heine. When it seems like he might say something, Ruth, if you wanted it to be different. They are, of course, interrupted by Verena. The pieces finally fall in place, culminating in Ruth arriving at Quinn's door on a dark and stormy night, and it is glorious, starting out with a beautiful scene where he dries her hair. And then all too soon everything falls apart. Before my reread, I couldn't quite remember how everything unravels, how things could not be resolved by a little communication. But in reading it, you follow how a few actions are misinterpreted, and it's so painful to read, even when you know that everything will work out in the end. And you know it will. Ibbotson said, I must have happy endings, whether I write for children or grown-ups. When I settle down to write, or even read a book, the, the idea that it might end all end miserably is something I can't bear. Okay, I think I've rambled on enough, um, and I'll leave it there, but really looking forward to the episode now. Thanks. Thank you, Miriam. Um, that sounds lovely. It does. It's a historical that we haven't read much of that time period, and I yeah, would really like to read something like that. That region. Yeah, definitely. And I am a sucker for my Vienna. I love you. Are I love my my sweet little Vienna. Um, and I love the phrase "sound of musicing it over the mountain." <laughs> yeah, sound of musing, sound of musicing it over the mountain. <laughs> yes, that is that should be an everyday uh, <laughs> colloquialism. Um, so thank you for that, Miriam. Again, that was The Morning Gift by Ava Ibbotson. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Um, next we have Paige. So let's hear from Paige on what she has been reading. Hey, Ellen and Mom, it's Paige H. And I swear I did not mean to stop commenting at all instead of just infrequently, but... At the end of the year, we had two litters of puppies, and French bulldog puppies are really, they're a lot to take care of. And so, yeah, just really busy. And for anybody who tagged me because they got or read The Last Victim, I'm really sorry that I didn't comment or respond to you. I suck at responding. But if you liked it, I'm really glad, and if you're going to read it eventually, I hope that you like it. It's definitely one of my favorite series, and Michael and Charlie are for sure one of my favorite couples. Anyway, moving on to the book that I decided to do for this free-for-all. That is The AI Who Loved Me by Alyssa Cole. I read it on Valentine's Day, and I just really loved it so much. It's my favorite book from Alyssa Cole. It was just one of those books where I felt like I was actively falling in love with the story and the characters while I was reading it, and I just, it was so wonderful. It's not a very long book, but there's a lot of, like, layers, levels to it. It's set in the future, and... Trinity is the heroine and she's recovering from 
an accident, so she's been working from home, and one of her neighbor's nephews moves in, and his name is Leeway, and he is the AI. She obviously doesn't know he's an AI at first, but when she finds out, she decides to help him learn how to act like a human, because it'd be dangerous for him if he was found out to be an AI, because government kind of sucks in that world. So yeah, they start spending a lot of time with each other and they fall in love. One of my favorite things about this book is watching Leeway's journey on basically becoming human. You know, at the beginning he starts out pretty cold even though he's interested in Trinity from the get-go. But just watching him warm up and discover emotions and how to identify them and how things make him feel and ultimately watching him fall in love with Trinity was just really sweet and pure and special and I loved every minute of it. I really hope that Alyssa Cole writes in this world again because there's you know a couple other characters that I'd like to get their stories too. The AI who loved me was fun and sweet and light but it's still made my heart hurt sometimes but like in a good way you know it was just all the things and you should definitely give it a chance though I will say it was originally an audible original but I think that you should actually read the ebook version just because when I went to put my review on Goodreads a lot of the reviews were negative and that all seemed to be tied to the audiobook but when I went to Amazon the reviews were much more positive and I think that's because people actually read the ebook instead of just listening to it. I just don't think you will have like the same experience. It's really charming reading about Leeway and Trinity and all that they're going through and I just don't think that translates well when you're listening to the audiobook so definitely recommend the ebook and it's perfect for if you just need you know a light read that will make you feel happy and like tug on your heartstrings a little so give it a try and I will talk to you guys if not before the next free-for-all definitely by the next free-for-all so see you guys later bye Thanks for that, Paige. Um, I had seen that one getting tossed around when it came out, and it's good to know that you say read over listen, because, yeah, I saw that the big hubbub was that it was an Audible original, etc. Um, so that's good to know, because I am intrigued by AI romance, <laughs> just to see how that works I out. I never read anything like that. That would be... Uh different yeah (laughs) um so that yeah color me intrigued like I always am with these with your guys's book reports um so thanks to Paige again for that that was the AI who loved me by Alyssa Cole which we've read Extraordinary Union and Duke by Default by Alyssa Cole on the show um next up we have Sarah R with uh with her book report so let's hear from one of the Sarah's. <laughs> ah, Sarah. Ah, Sarah. Hi, Noyos. It's Sarah, and the book I'm recommending is A Stitch in Time by Kelly Armstrong. Bronwyn spends her childhood and teens visiting her aunt's country manor on the English moors. At the manor, she is able to travel 200 years in the past to visit a boy named William Thorne. They become childhood friends and each other's first loves as teens. A family tragedy keeps Bronwyn from returning to the home for 20 years. 
she returns after inheriting it. She has convinced herself that the time travel was all in her head. However, when she gets to the home, all she has to do is think of William, and she goes back in time. William is not exactly elated to see her, and it takes a while for them to rekindle their relationship. Bronwyn visiting William awakens the ghosts of the past in her time. She has to solve the mystery of the past to, fi to find a path forward with William. I was having a really hard time finishing any books, and this book helped me get out of my reading funk. Uh, I normally don't read something that has you know time travel, ghosts, a mystery, um, but I really enjoyed this one. I'm looking forward to the second book that's coming out this fall. Thanks. I hope you guys like it. Thank you for that, Sarah. Um, time travel. Ghosts. Uh, ghosts. Um, the time, the, just thinking of them and time traveling would have saved Outlander a lot of freaking time. <laughs> just saying. <laughs> a lot fewer books. <laughs> yeah. The, um, no, I haven't, we haven't, have we read a time travel book? No, I don't think, I mean, I, I have, but <laughs> mom just flung her pencils to. eraser at me. Um. I, I mean, I have independently, but I don't know that we have on the... Have I'm you sure. read a time travel romance? I have. I have. Oh, you read... Um, there's the Amy Harmon book. Oh, the book. Amy Harmon book. That, that was good. has some time travel on it. Um, I haven't read Outlander, just so everybody knows. I feel like a... Fraud. Romance reading, reader fraud. <laughs> you are. Um, so, thanks again, Sarah, for that. That was Sarah with... My notes are not coming up. A Stitch in Time by Kelly Armstrong. So thank you for that, Sarah. Um, next, we have another Sarah. So let's hear what a different Sarah has been reading. <laughs> hey, everyone. It's Sarah S. here, and I've got my book report all ready to go. So this time I read Where the Lost Wander by Amy Harmon. And I just want to give a shout out to everyone, uh, you know, uh, the No Yomos and... Ellen and mom, because I, I know you guys have talked about Amy Harmon before, and that's, you know, you guys are all where I've heard of her from, and everyone had such uh, good things to say about her, so I decided to look into her uh, list of books, and I'm not a huge contemporary reader at all, but I saw she had a couple historicals, and uh this one where the lost wander uh takes place actually on the Oregon Trail and I was like I'm in <laughs> so um I just had to read this one start with this one and I'm so glad I did because it really was uh exceptional and just a cut above most um historical novels um it, out there you know it's it did not feel like a history lesson at all but it was so rich with history and just the the facts and the um you know things that you could tell she took from you know took from real events and things like that so before I get more into it let me I want to read the back flap here so you get an idea about uh what the book's about because this explains it better than I can. So, so it says, The Overland Trail, 1853. 
Naomi May never expected to be widowed at 20. Eager to leave her grief behind, she sets off with her family for a life out west. On the trail, she forms an instant connection with John Lowry, a half-Pawnee man straddling two worlds and a stranger in both. But life in a wagon train is fraught with hardship, fear, and death. Even as John and Naomi are drawn to each other, the trials of the journey and their disparate pasts work to keep them apart. John's <clears throat> excuse me, John's heritage gains them safe passage through hostile territory only to come between them as they seek to build a life together. When a horrific tragedy strikes, decimating Naomi's family and separating her from John, the promises they made are all they have left. Ripped apart, they can't turn back, they can't go on, and they can't let go. Both will have to make sa terrible sacrifices to find each other, save each other, and eventually make peace with who they are. So, uh, this book, uh, like it says, it's, uh, it takes place 1853, and um, I wouldn't categorize it as a Western romance uh, at all. It's because... Um, don't get me wrong, I love Western romances, uh, when done right, you know, they are just, um, th I, f I typically find them a lot looser in the rules than the, the Victorian, uh, side of things, you know, the v Victorian historical romances, because out West, you can kind of get away with more, um, for, for women, um, you know, so it's, it's just a looser kind of, um, genre. So I like that a bit when I need a break from the historical romances, but I don't want people to get scared thinking that this is a, a Western or, you know, like the Cowboys and Indians kind of thing and, you know, all hokey like that. It's uh, nothing like that. And those of you that know Amy Harmon, you know how her writing is and how, you know, she um, keeps things very... Um, respectful for both sides, you know, the Native American and the, um, the, the white settlers and everything, you know, just, um, history, but like I said, not too much to bog you down. Um, but yeah, it's really also, uh, it is a love story, but it's also about a family, uh, traveling together to, you know, make a new life and all those hardships on the trail and, um, those of you who have played Oregon Trail, like I have in elementary school, um, it's, it's kind of like that. You get, you know, you can get cholera one day and then if you're like I did get carried off by an eagle the next day, you know? So it was, it was tough, but yeah, it really, it really does make you appreciate how, um, tough it had to be and how tough you had to be to really survive just that trip. Um, because so many things could, um, could hurt you, whether it was the threat of an Indian attack or, or just, a a wagon wheel, uh, breaking, and then that holds you up and, you know, just, uh, that can make the, the, the difference of, you know, if, you know, of getting left behind and, you know, or staying with the group, you know, it's just so many things that could befall you. And, um, so anybody that made that trip had to be pretty, pretty tough, pretty strong. And 
So John is, uh, like it says, half Pawnee um, and half white. And it's his his journey, too, really is about um, like both him and Naomi are trying to find who they are and everything. Um, and she especially grows up a lot uh, on the trail. Um, and he his issue is, you know, he never being half Pawnee, he doesn't feel like he's ever belonged in either world. You know, he lives with his white father and his wife, but he's never really felt like he's belonged there. He never really felt wanted by his father. Um, and you actually come to find that that's, uh, there's more to it than that, you know. Um, but keep in mind, this was an era that, you know, men didn't really easily show affection uh, and, you know, things like that. So he just never felt loved or wanted. And then from his Native American side, he never felt accepted by them either because he has white blood in him too. So they knew, they looked at him and knew he he was uh, Pawnee, um, but also knew he wasn't 100% Pawnee. So it, you know, it was kind of a, a double whammy and he just, he just never felt like he fit anywhere. And then through meeting Naomi and just those two kind of getting to know each other on the trail and falling in love, you know, they do find who they are through each other and through these trials and tribulations they have to go through together. But it is also a story of family love and, you know, bonds and just um, sticking together and, you know, for better or worse. And uh, sometimes it just the whole idea that family doesn't have to be blood related. Um, and so I don't want to say too much more and give too much away, but um, it it starts out kind of with a bang and uh, this big um, uh, tragedy. And then we kind of go back um, in time a bit to see what led up to that and the events, you know, before that. And uh, so um, it's, it, it was just really, really well written, really well done. And um, she does, uh, you know, there are, uh, like I said before, you know, she writes about the Native Americans and how it's not always, um, you know, they're not always portrayed in the best light in books like this. And I don't want people to get afraid of, you know, of that whole thing. And, you know, because she does say, too like she had to use some language being that you're she's writing about this time in history and so she had to use some language that she probably wouldn't normally use um and uh it and I when I read that at the end I couldn't really remember like I'm not exactly sure what she was referring to because I don't remember any huge you know like um you know, like the N-word, you would remember if somebody used the N-word in the book. Uh, and it's, so for for this, I, I couldn't really remember what um, 
she was referring to, aside from the fact that, you know, they're uh, referred to as as Indians in the book, and, you know, it's an Indian attack, and, a, you know, so, and that's true to the time. That is what it would have been called back then, and um, Native Americans would have been called much worse than Indians, or, you know, so, um, like I said, I couldn't recall if she used any of the other terms. Um, I can't recall right off the bat. Um, but I do know that everything else, you know, was handled really respectfully and, um, and does a great job of showing both sides, you know, how tough it was for the Native Americans, how tough it was for the white settlers, because, you know, a lot of them just coming out for a better life, you know, would be attacked and were innocent, had nothing to do with, you know, but the Native Americans, where they were coming from was a lot of it was in retaliation to maybe what the army's done to them or, you know, right before or something, you know, um, or just protecting their land, you know, so it, it just, there's nobody won in the whole situation, certainly not the Native Americans and, um, and a lot of it innocent, uh, settlers lost their lives too. So, um, I think it just does a great job of, of showing that, you know, this is, this is the way that it was. And, you know, there's nothing we could do about it now to change it, but there were some beautiful things, uh, that still existed like love and, you know, hence, uh, where Naomi and, um, John come in, and so yeah, it just, it was a really beautiful love story, and, but like I said, I just didn't want people to, you know, hear Western, and, you know, run, run for the hills, or, um, because it's really more like a Midwestern, um, you know, but, and I also, I knew that it might be an issue for some people, the whole, um, uh, Native American thing, um, but like I said, when done right, it's it's worth it because it really is a uh, beautiful culture and um, not so much a you know pretty time in history, but it I just I love anything about Native Americans and showing their uh, their way of life and everything and. Um, very sad because you know what ultimately happens, but, uh, it was just well worth the read to just see, because again, a lot of the people were, uh, you know, really existed. And, uh, so she includes, uh, what she can of real events and everything. So, so yeah, I just, uh, I loved it as you could tell. <laughs> so that's basically it. Um, I'm going to stop before I keep droning on but yeah that was where the lost wander by amy Harmon, and i hope you guys check it out if you can because it's well worth it all right guys i'll talk to you later bye thank you for that sarah um i also loved that book um mom has yet to read it i have yet to read it um and it's 
everything you said and more. It's it's so good. Ellen wanted to make it our historical last year, but I hadn't read it, so we couldn't yeah. really make it our best historical last year. I did want to make it our best historical last year because I think, I mean, we gave it to the Widow of Rose House, which right? No, we, yeah, uh, I think so. yes, that is what we gave it to. Um, and that I also love that, but um, as far as like historicals, that just completely knocked me off my feet. It's definitely that book. Um, and it's gorgeous and sweeping and romantic and tragic and shocking in some places. And yeah, when she says it starts off with a bang, it literally starts off with a a bang (laughs) and it's uh, intense, but so good. And mom's definitely needs to read it. I will. Mom. Off my back. Um, so again, that was Sarah with Where the Lost Wander by the incomparable Amy Hartman, who it's true. we do love on this show. Um, okay, so we just have one more, and it's Shannon. So let's hear what Shannon has been up to. Hi, Ellen, Julie, and the rest of the Yomos. This is Shannon. Um, my submission for the free-for-all is Talk Dirty to Me by Allie Parker. It is the first book in her The Business of Love series. Um, it's about a, a plus-size girl named Vanessa who um, is self-conscious um, about her body and is shy and introverted. Um, she's never had a boyfriend or any really romance at all. Um, and then, uh, but she has the secret. At night, she is Nessa Knight. And she is a love guru who gives advice of, about love and relationships to callers on a radio talk show. Um, and one of those callers, Mr. No Name, who is a regular on the show, turns out to be um, an old crush of hers and her brother's best friend. And his name is Reese. So um, Reese uh, show ends up finding her, uh, you know, kind of on a, he shows up for a family event, um, and sees her after a long period of time and says, you know, whoa, look, you know, how much she's changed. And of course, big brother, her big brother says, hands off my sister. Um, but he can't help himself. So he tries to, you know, uh, meet up with, Vanny and see her and kind of interact with her because he just really is attracted to her and um he finds out through you know just talking with her that she's got this high school reunion coming up that she's nervous about so he suggests in order to you know spend more time with her and get to know her more that he be her fake fiance at the reunion so it looks like she's you know got all together and she's got this really handsome guy um that she's going to marry so she doesn't look like she's coming to the reunion with you know nothing um to be proud of and uh so as they get together there's you know they start learning more about each other to pull off this fake engagement there is a bit of a you know some love blurred lines maybe some hot and heavy situations and um and you know maybe in uh a relationship building but there's a secret she knows that he is mr no name um, and that she has been giving him love advice in the past, but, but she's never told him that she is Nessa Knight. Um, so this book is really great. 
I really liked it. I thought it was really cute. Um, I almost gave it a full five stars. I really liked Reese. I thought he was very understanding and gentle with her, with all of her insecurities. Um, but there was a couple of issues that I had. One, um, there's no uh, safe sex whatsoever in this book. It's, you know, it's the pull-out method. It's completely ridiculous. Um, and two, I didn't like the ending. And uh, I thought that it could have ended, you know, earlier, nicer, more simpler, more sweeter. Um, I just felt that they, she, you know, Fanny was, came off very, you know, mean and, and, and kind of uh, hurtful and, and stuff. And I didn't like that about the ending. I thought it could have ended better where she was more kind and more understanding of Reese. Um, so, but if you read, I don't want to spoil the ending for everybody, but if you read the ending and you uh, want to talk about it, let me know. And that's it. Okay. Shannon, Shannon, Shannon. <laughs> you had Ellen with so many tropes. Yeah, that was really firing on all cylinders until you got to that ending part. But I'm still, you know, I've read a lot of books that I don't love the ending on. But Brother's Best Friend, uh, Secret Identities, Fake Relationship. I was like, yeah, yes, yes, <laughs> yes, yes. You can ask mom. I was like snapping all along. And, Granny not from ear to ear. Yeah. Um, that... You might have gotten me with that one, because that sounds like my particular brand of catnip. Um, so, thank you to Shannon. Again, that was Talk Dirty to Me, which also, <laughs> that title, by Allie Parker. Um, and thank you to all of you. Um, any thoughts on... No, it's... Uh, once again... It's a whole bunch of books that yeah. would seem very intriguing. I know. You guys, uh, when I don't have enough time to be reading, you deliver all these books that I want to read. Um, so that was the free-for-all. We had so much fun hearing from so many of you, as we always do. We just love turning this episode over to you guys. Um, we would love to hear more from you on our Facebook page, our Facebook group, which is Not Your Mom's Facebook group, our Goodreads group, our Twitter and Instagram, which are both at Not Your Mom's Rom, or you can email us at Not Your Mom's Romance Book Club at gmail.com. So if you want to read along with us and email us with your thoughts, or if you would like to suggest a book for us to read, we'd love to hear from you. On March 1st, we're kicking off the spring reading lineup, and we'll be discussing The X-Talk by Rachel Lynn Solomon. Remember, you can subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and wherever your favorite podcasts are sold for free. Don't forget to leave a review because it helps the show, and we honestly just love to read them. Um, all right. Thanks, Mom. You're so welcome, Ellen. And thanks to all of you. Thanks to all of you. This was your show. Yes, for sure. Um, and we will see you next time. Bye. Bye. Not Your Mom's Romance Book Club is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. You can find more outstanding podcasts to subscribe to at frolic.media slash podcasts.